And welcome to Mark and the Cranky Fan. You are listening to the podcast with Mark McLeod and Mike Aegis. Glad to have you aboard. And, uh, man, Florida, 24-20 win over Miami. You would think that all is collapsing and coming down. Uh, it's funny. I've heard some national talk show hosts, sports talk hosts today say some things that I just shake my head about. I'm like, how do you not see what happened? And, and you're buying all the hype. I don't know. We're, Mike Aegis and I are going to get into that. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, again, some of the things I heard today on this Monday from national and regional sports talk hosts just made me bust out laughing at some of the takes <laughs> from some of these guys. Mark, I, I apologize in advance. My voice is a little shot from the game, so we're going to soldier on as best we can. Uh, you know that uh, – I have a heart problem, Mark. I take multiple heart pills. I have a heart monitor and everything. And games like this in mid-August are not a good way for me to live a long life on this earth with the stress that we had to go through. So, um, you know, listening to the national media, there. on the one hand, you had three of the four people on ESPN game day picking Miami to beat Florida. Mm. And then after we beat Florida – they criticize Florida for looking awful and unprepared and a, a team that should have lost. I mean we all know that ESPN is a bunch of hypocrites and all they do is care about promoting ESPN themselves. Um, the ESPN game day show is just – it's an entertainment vehicle. It's not for serious people who want serious insights about what they're going to watch for the next 12 hours on a Saturday. So we'll, we'll break down everything that you know happened obviously Saturday night. It was one of the craziest games I've ever been to. One of the most stressful games I've ever been to. But um, if you allow me for a minute to put on my thirty for thirty voice, go ahead. What if I told you that Miami ran seventeen of the last eighteen plays of the game? That they had Florida had four official turnovers and really had seven with penalties extending drives. What if I told you, you know, all of these crazy things and Florida still won the game? It, it, it really was nuts. If you look at the stat line and you look at the game, the play log, it, it's really, really something. I mean, Miami on their last drive had 10 plays and had a net minus two yards. That's how many ter- uh, penalties and foolishness that Florida did on that last thing to give them every opportunity. I mean, take away the first quarter, Mark, our defense dominated. They couldn't move the ball anymore other than you know, a, a fluke play here and there and the help of penalties. So everybody thinking that you know the sky is falling with Florida, take a deep breath back, watch the game again, and you could see there's a lot more positives than negatives. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I, I, I said on Twitter that – you know, you look right after the game or shortly after the game, maybe the next morning, I don't remember, because I didn't get home till two something in the morning. Um, but anyway, I, I I said something to the effect of, look, it, you know, all these mistakes, these things can be corrected in practice. And boy, mm-hmm. I got lit up by a couple people with private messages and then one, one that was sort of public, but that guy didn't know what he was talking about. And he has very <laughs> few posts, so... <laughs> yeah, I could tell he. You're not a Gator fan. You don't know what you're talking right. about. But, right. but then the same take today on a 
on on two different talk national one was a national one was a regional talk show and the hosts are going on about essentially one of them did say well florida look in in this game florida was garbage and i was like really really look you know what was garbage here's what was garbage missed tackles that's garbage and turnover not being able to jump on the ball when miami was putting it on the ground that's garbage but again these are things that you know, you you can help coach a guy, uh, a a kid, you know, uh, and, and try and help him to get on the ball. It doesn't mean it's going to work, but there are things that that they coach and teach you. They used to teach us that when I was a kid, and then certainly, you know, tackling is you know, look focus, and we all know all that. That that becomes a mental thing. It really does. You start to see guys missing tackles and missing tackles, and that's just like a snowball throughout the whole team. You'll you'll see that. But Mike, I was just blown away by the Florida's garbage. Look, I watched the Florida game, Miami. I couldn't believe it. And, and of course, one of the callers, uh, one of the shows had a Miami caller, and he said, look, he goes, I just can't believe it. Miami did everything they could to, and, and gave the game to Florida. If, it, if uh, it wasn't for our mistakes, we would have won that game. And I'm thinking, what game were you watching? What, <laughs> what mistakes did Miami make in this game, really? I mean yeah. – Nothing that the, the the muff punt was was their worst mistake of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, and you know something you talk about all those things that happened. You know, the penalties, the lack of discipline with the late hits, the the missed tackling. Yeah, these are game week one mistakes we see every single year. If we go back to this show last year after Labor Day, we're complaining about the same things, and our answer to it that will be corrected. The difference is we're not playing. Southwest Louisiana, Arkansas State. We're playing Miami, a team that you know could be ranked later on in the season if they get their offensive line fi- figured out. But a lot of those things we saw, there was nothing systemic that I looked at and said that is a problem where they are dominating us and will be a problem throughout the entire season. Miss tackling, I mean, that can be corrected. Lack of discipline with late hits that can very, very easily be corrected with some stadium runs, uh, penalties. These guys, these have to start playing. You know, as you get into the the routine of a regular season, those things can all be fixed. I saw a defensive line completely dominate Miami, completely dominate. I saw an offensive line by us by, you know against a really, really good Miami defensive line, do a, I think, a great job in pass, cut, in pass um, blocking. The run game, Mark, we only ran, we only had 54 plays total. Anybody who's watched the Gators last year with Mullen or ever watched a Mullen offense knows the run game gets better and better in the third and fourth quarter when they've been able to lean on a defense you know, 70, 80 plays, multiple runs where you're wearing a defense down through our own fault, through the, you know, the badly timed turnovers and stuff. We never got in a situation where their defense got tired or we put the Miami's offense in a bad position. So those things are going to happen. But for people to think that we were a joke and we were, a, a you know, a team shouldn't be ranked anymore. They're just sensationalized people that, you know, People have a, a thing against Florida, and they just look for any reason to rip on us. And that was a good opportunity to, but they all sound foolish. Yeah, I mean, look, there were things, that, a lot of things to correct. We all get that. But the offensive line issues, 
yeah, you couldn't establish a run early. But again, what? what wait a minute. Before the game, everybody was talking about how tough the Miami defense is. Now, all of a sudden, it's how bad the Florida offensive line is. I, I, make up your mind. Which is it? Because uh, the Florida offensive line, again, couldn't get anything going with the run game. We all admit that. That's a credit to Miami, number one. And just as you said, they were really unable to, to get anything going and wear Miami down, which is what I thought was going to happen during the game. I, I said, mm-hmm. you know, in the second half, you're going to see Florida wear Miami down, and, and that's they're going to beat them by two touchdowns or more is what I really thought would happen. Again, so many mistakes in terms of penalties, in terms of uh, taking care of the football a little bit, and really mainly not getting the football from Miami when, when they were putting it on the ground for you. Uh, you know, th- those are things that all go together. The two for 10 third down. Yeah, that's a concern. But again, it's one game. You give this this offensive line wasn't going to be built in a day. You got to give them time to grow and develop much like Felipe Franks is going to continue to grow and develop. And, and the whole asinine criticism of Franks. No, it wasn't his best game as a Florida player. No doubt. But he wasn't as horrible as some of these people are painting the picture. I, I just I just laugh at this. And I, I went back and watched the game. And I watched some of these plays in slow motion and watched what he was doing. And I see a quarterback that, that no, he didn't have his best game. His accuracy wasn't the best. Uh, we saw, I think it was better in the spring than, than it was in this game. But, but it's the first game. You're going to have timing issues. You're going to have all that stuff's going to be worked out. And – uh, yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I think there's far too much criticism being piled on. I mean, with Franks, <laughs> I really, other than the, the first interception, not the most accurate throw, but probably should have been caught. Now, if it's a good throw, that's a touchdown. He catches him in stride, Swain, he's gone. The second one was just, you know, Mark, in all my years of watching football, it was tip. I have. I've never seen a dumber decision ever than going four wide out when basically we can try to run out the clock. Miami had one timeout left. We just get the ball back. And I couldn't – lining up, like, why are we in four wide out? And then we try to throw it. Then it gets tipped and it gets picked. It's like giving them right back in. That to me was – that one's on Mullen. So and I can't he took bl- credit for it in the postgame. Yeah, so I can't bl- blame Franks for that. And then to compound the, the Franks' criticism, every time he does or says anything, people are ready to pounce on him. He talks into the camera, and all of a sudden, Twitter blows up. You know, he he punts the ball into the stands after the game is over or whatever. Twitter goes insane. I mean, there's three types of people that criticize Franks. There's rival fan bases and trolls. There's people who just don't like him personally. And people have already decided that he stinks. The first group I don't care about. You know, Florida State and Miami people are gonna they're gonna rip him to a new one anyway. That's irrelevant to me. The people who don't like him personally, there's really nothing I can do to change your mind. I mean, that's your that's your opinion. You don't like his style, fine. But the people already decided that he needs to be benched. He won't be the starting quarterback by the time we get to Georgia. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, if your standard for every quarterback is they're not Tebow or they're not Werfel, these are generational quarterbacks that we've had two in the hundred and you know ten years of Florida football. He's a solid SEC quarterback. He's not great, but.
but he's certainly not one of the worst ones in the SEC like people are making him out to be. Um, I, I, he's going to fight you know, his perception I think the rest of his career at Florida. He's a very emotional guy. He's a hothead. Um, the same people who think he should just stick to playing football and not have these emotional outbursts quickly forget after he shushed the crowd in that South Carolina game, his season turned around 180 degrees, and he was one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC after that. So, you know, when you don't like it, you know, you can't criticize it. But when it works for you, say, oh, it's a good thing for him. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, so I I really had no problem with Franks in that game. I mean, Franks is – we said this on the show a hundred times. He is what he is. Not very accurate quarterback who sometimes can look pretty bad, sometimes makes a dumb decision, but also – led this team to a top 10 finish and 10 wins last year and just beat Miami. One of the best, that might be one of the best passing defenses he's going to face all year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look, he hit 63%. I mean, yeah. we've seen a lot of games where he was hitting, uh, I think you go back early to last year and there were several games where he was at like 58, 57, 59%. He hit 63 in this one. Um, and look, uh, you go back to the the the, the fumble in the uh, red zone early in the game, which could have turned the po- the game around. Could have been a fourteen three lead if they get the field goal and end up having to kick a field goal. It's ten to three, but he's tra- he's taking the ball. He sees and looks over and sees Trayvon Grimes on the quick slant right there going into the end zone because for whatever reason, a Miami safety got sucked up into running up to the line of scrimmage and Grimes was blowing past him. So Franks is trying to pull the ball back from um, uh, LaMichael Pirine and then dump the ball to, to Grimes for an easy touchdown because there was nobody back there for Miami. Nobody in the end zone over the middle for the Hurricanes. But unfortunately – the ball was too far in there. P. Ryan tried to take it, and as he, you know, he thought, "Hey, well, he's giving me the ball," and and that was that was just one of those plays that that once in a blue moon is going to happen that way. And it's then the other one, one, the it's other a week one, one was mistake. a tip ball, right? The other yeah. one was a tip ball where if if um, uh, was it Hammond who got up and, and and got the ball, Swain, 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 and and if if he hadn't touched the ball, it would have gone to uh, was it Pitts back there. Yeah, but if you know something, if he if he catches that ball, it's a touchdown. Yeah, that's too. what I'm so saying. So that wasn't that wasn't a very good throw. It's not a hundred percent on him, uh, but that's again, that's that little. He's not the most. Right. If he was the pinpoint accurate guy that we hope everybody thinks he should be, that's a touchdown. So that one gets he gets partial credit for mm-hmm. the blame on that one. But um, yeah, yeah. And, and I, let me tell you a couple other things I see in in when I was looking at the game and and slowing it down and watching what Franks was doing. There are two criticisms of Franks. Number one, accuracy. There were some issues in this game. Okay, we, all, we acknowledge that. The other one was, remember, when Franks was a, a younger quarterback, he would lock on to a receiver. I mean, he took the ball, and he was looking right at that guy, and he never really moved his head. Safeties were able to move over. If it was a short pass, linebackers were moving over that way. Now, when I watched him in this game, especially when I went back and watched, but I saw it on the field live a bit, but when I went back and watched it, you can see him looking off the safety. You can see him turning his head around, and that's that's the thing of beauty. Now, there was one play where it looked like Van Jefferson was, was 
had run, I think he he ran a, a drag and then kind of curled up. And it, Franks ended up shifting and moving to his right, got a little bit of pressure after standing in the pocket for a second. Uh, and he drifted to his right. Had he looked back left, he'd have seen Jefferson, and that probably would have gone for a touchdown. But, again, you're not, th- that happens to a lot of quarterbacks. So it's And, again, first game stuff, there were mistakes made. But, but I'll tell you what. For anyone to suggest the guy needs to be benched or, you know, whatever you're, some of these people are suggesting, I, I'm just shaking my head going, I'm not sure what game you watched. Perhaps you need to turn on the television again, watch it, and watch some of the stuff he's doing in slow motion, and you can see with his head where he's going with the ball and what he's trying to do, and you'll go, oh, okay, well, maybe that's not so bad. And that, I think, is exactly why, Mike, that Dan Mullen didn't rip him in the post game and really barely criticized him other than to say, yeah, there's some things we definitely need to work on. But he said, I didn't see anything so bad. He goes, there were, there, he did a lot of things that I liked and that was Mullen. Yeah. Again, we score on either of those two red zone plays. This, the entire game is different. The whole complexion's done. You know, Miami will get out of there. They had a very safe conservative game plan. Yes. Smartly. So. And, but all of a sudden, if you jump out to a 14-3 lead or a 21-3 lead, that game plan's out the window. And you saw what happened in the fourth quarter when they had to get out of their game plan to drive down the field to score. They could do absolutely nothing. It fell right into Grantham's hands. So if you can do that, you know, two things happen. One, they're out of their game plan. And two, that's when you get their defense back on the field more and more. And that's when that running game can start leaning on a defensive line. So, you know, again, Miami is a very good defense. It's probably one of the, you know, three or four best ones they're going to see all year. Um, We've had this debate, me and some friends of mine, do you want to play a cupcake in week one or do you want to play a team like Miami in week one? Um, You know, I personally think I'd rather play the teams like Miami because a, I like to play good teams. I don't like wasting my time watching, you know, teams that there's really no competition, but I really think there's more coachable moments when you're playing a Miami and not only the coachable moments, Mark, I really think the players buy into the coachable moments. If it happens against Miami, if they do something, there's a missed tackle or something against Southwest Louisiana, they'll be coached up. But is it really going to sink in as much as, Oh, here's what you did wrong against Miami or you did wrong against Michigan. So I think the, the message gets a lot clearer to them when it happens in a big game or at least against better competition. So I don't need the heartache and the heart attack palpitations in late August, but I think (laughs) there's a lot more good that came out of this game, a close game against Miami than blowing out a scrub or even blowing out Miami. The last thing you want for this team is a false sense of sense of entitlement and a false sense of we're really, really good. I mean, this team is ranked in the top 10 and I'm not going to do the state of the program after every single week, but it's a work in process and it's going to be a work in process for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, offensively again, I, I, when I spoke with John Hevesy two and a half weeks ago, He said the run is definitely ahead of pass pro on the first unit. He goes, but I like where we're going. We're we're doing a nice job. He specifically said then, look, I mean, people are going to have to understand. I mean, you know, the offensive line, you've got 
three guys who haven't played much much football here except in practice. He goes, but I think they've done a good job. He said, and I think they get it. So they're going to continue to, to bond together and gel together and grow together. And he said, through the course of the season. Now, I saw in the game the same thing you did. There were times Franks may have held the ball a few long, uh, a bit too long, maybe maybe a few plays here or there. But overall, I think I think the offensive line for a first time out and what what we were seeing was three new starters. And then Brett Heggie, who's been a part-time starter when he's been healthy, he's been a starter. But I'll tell you what, I, I – I didn't have any issues with the pass protection overall, considering the situation and considering, again, that they're going up against what uh, most analysts believe is probably one of the top ten defenses in college football, particularly yeah. on the front seven. Then yeah, I, I mean, that's – Yeah, go ahead. That That's the reason why they thought Miami was going to win. They thought our their defensive line and their linebackers would dominate our offensive line. I mean, See, I had the, I had the opposite offense. take. I had the opposite take. I mean, I'm looking at the Miami offensive line, and I'm thinking, what? That that bunch is going to get hammered. And they did get hammered. Ten sacks. And that look, worse. Mike, if, if Jaron Williams, and I credit that young man, he did a nice job. And Dan Enos deserves a lot of credit for putting him in the right position. He didn't, he didn't ask too much of that kid. He asked about right what he, he could expect him to get from a defense like Florida's, which is pretty doggone good. And I think that, you know, that's where I thought this game was going to come to. And had Florida been able to tackle, that defense would have gotten off the field a lot more. And we would have had more offensive plays run, number one. And then number two, had they been able to get the ball, and I'm sure they'll go through the uh, the fumble drill time and again, but had they been able to jump on a few of those fumbles, again, ball back to the offense, the Miami offense is on the sidelines. Those were key points of the game right there and yeah i i can't kill him for the fumble not recovering fumbles i mean those are kind of they're 50 50s it's just a ball is shaped in a weird way and it bounces in funny ways so that's something you can practice but it's it's really luck i mean causing the fumbles is a good thing and that's going to what we want to see um but you know there's a couple of things that i i keys of the game i thought were really interesting and i really kind of appreciated um we were four for four on fourth downs, and I think that's a testimony to the offensive line as well. And also, I think a testimony to the coaching staff's trust in the offensive line. If we have a sieve like Miami, Miami's offensive line or Florida State's offensive line, we're not going for it as much as we do. So you know, even if it's a uh, you know a fake field goal or just going for it, going for it four times was pretty impressive to me, and making all four was fantastic. Uh, I thought one of the players of the game, and it was pretty unsung, was Tommy Townsend. Exactly. He is fantastic. I mean, we said this last week, the keys to this game would be field position. Mm-hmm. And he did everything he could to keep this game, you know, the field position tilted in our favor. With a lot of help, I thought, from Van Jefferson as a gunner. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was down there, you know. He jumped on the, uh, on the muff punt. He was down there as fast as possible. Um, I thought that was a huge key. Um, one thing I've noticed being, you know, the first time I've seen these players live, obviously you've seen them in practice. Michael Pirine looks like a completely different person. He looks a lot skinnier. 
than he did last year. And it makes me wonder, he looks so different. Can he still be that bell cow running back who can run the ball if he has to 25, 30 times a game, moving chains in the third and fourth quarter? I mean, what's your take on that, just looking at him? Because to me, it looks like a – maybe because he has a, a single number also on his uniform, makes him look a little thinner. But he looked like almost more like one of the scat backs and you know, the bigger guy than I thought he was last year and year before. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely reshaped his body over the past two years, lost some of the baby fat. Um, and, and I'm not sure if he told us that or Mullen or, or who it was that told us that. It may have been Greg Knox even. But, uh, yeah, he, he looks like a different dude. And he's 5'11", 218 now, so he's he's a little thicker, a little muscled up. But, but yeah, when Florida had Jordan Scarlett and his final year, I remember when he walked out there, even kind of the year before, but but especially his last year, you went, wow. I mean, that guy's got so little body fat on him. And and that's kind of what you're seeing a bit of with LaMichael Pirine. Um, you, you've seen him change a bit. And I think he looks a bit faster, quicker maybe. Um, so they, they've worked on him and, and really, I think, done a nice job there. I just want to make sure, though, in the fourth quarter – when we've been leaning on the defensive line most of the game and we need a seven minute drive to ice a game or just finish the game that he is still a bull and he's still going to get those three yards. I mean, speed is great. We have, you know, we have Malik Davis. We have, we have these Damian guys who Pierce can fly. Is guy for that. And we have Pierce too, but I, I want to make sure that we still have a number one who can still knock a, you know, a guard, um, a defensive tackle back a little bit and get that extra yard if needed. So it would be something just to watch his running style this year and see if he can still be that guy. I think Pierce is the guy they still want to do what they did last year. Work him a little bit in the first half, but then bring him in in the second half to when they're wearing people down, if that, if indeed they can do that again and mm-hmm. bring him in and do just that. That would be uh, that would be interesting. All right, uh, some of the other keys to the game um, – Look, we, we got to talk just for a second about that final drive. Um, that was unbelievable, the <laughs> Miami drive. I mean, four minutes and 20 seconds left on the clock. I went back. I charted it. During that drive, Florida had a sack, a sack, a sack, and a quarterback hurry on, on Jaron Williams. They forced three fumbles. Miami recovered every one of them. In fact, one of them, there were two Gators there. Looked like it was a no-brainer. A hurricane dove in and grabbed the ball. Yeah. Uh, that's why I say the, the drill is going to be run. That's aggravating. Yeah, I agree with you. There was another one where there was a Gator and a hurricane there. And then you saw another Gator jump in. And I thought, oh, man, hopefully they got that one. Nope, hurricane got it. So three fumbles, three sacks, a quarterback hurry. Miami committed the illegal block on the first play of the series. Then later they had the delay of game. They had a pass play that went for minus one yard. They had another pass play that went for minus two yards. Of course, the fumble, one of the fumbles might gain four yards for Miami. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, the insanity. And then, of course, the two pass interference penalties on the Gators later, which gave them fresh life every time the Hurricanes screwed themselves or the Gators uh, punished them. Uh, and, and, look, it's a two-way street there. And well, there was – the late hit also on on the fourth and what was it fourth yeah. and twenty three or something? I mean, just just unbelievable. Just Mark, unbelievable. they had they had ten plays for minus two yards. Yeah, I mean, how's that even? 
you know, the, the theory of relativity says that it's not possible, but it was possible. I mean, it really, we were just self-imploding on that drive. And I guarantee you, Mark, if this was a Ron Zook team or this was a uh, Muschamp team, we lose this game. Hmm. For, for some reason, you know, we are winning these games when we're winning ugly. And uh, it was really, it felt like the final quarter took over an hour. It was that long. And that whole drive started after that interception we were talking about before where, you know, it was just like, why are we throwing? And whoops, where is he throwing to? So yeah, yeah. It, it started off and then it got moved back because there was a taunting penalty on that, too. So they ran it back to, I think, about the 25 or 30, but it moved back immediately 15 yards because of a taunt. And we had. I think there were two late hits in there besides the pass interferences. And again, it's a perfect storm of a first game. You have that first game jitters and people extra pumped up because it's the first game. You have the first game where you have all these correctable things that'll be fixed. You're playing a rival in Miami. You're playing a team that's looking to get an edge because they're inferior and they're going to taunt and they're going to do the little things. They're going to get under your skin. I mean, the mistakes that are made in the fourth quarter, they need to show more discipline. But if you watch that game, you see how Miami was needling them the whole game and frustrations were coming out. You know, little late jabs and things and even just this obnoxious over-the-top business with these turnover chains and stuff. It's I, – I, I don't even want to go into this rant about with the turnover chains and the turnover the touchdown rings and stuff. It's like – for an image of amateur athletes and have them wearing these big gaudy rings and, and, and things, it's just like it goes so against what college football is all about. I mean, mm-hmm. Miami is just not a college football program. I mean, they're not fans of football. They're just people that love the image of living in South Florida and the image that that projects. They, I knew that the crowd would be close to 50-50 because it's a big deal, the, the, Miami, the Florida game. So they're going to show out in mass. I guarantee you their next two home crowds won't be the, the same as the amount of people that are in this g- game last week. So I, I just – all of it kind of leads together to the frustration you saw in the fourth quarter. I don't think you'll see that perfect storm again the rest of the year. For So hopefully the mental mistakes and the lack of discipline will go away. And with that, you're going to see a, a much cleaner, better brand of football than, than you saw last week. What was the crowd breakout? To me, it was probably like – 55 45 i think i mean our entire section our half of the stadium obviously was florida it looked very close to being full on the miami side you saw some gator i would even say pockets but blue in in the other side but i I think it was pretty close to being even and i i kind of thought that was going to be the case because like i said florida the, the miami fan base gets pumped for big events when they played Notre Dame in the 80s, Orange Bowl was rocking. The Florida State game is always a huge deal. They play Florida a huge deal. So I thought it was pretty close to even. And I'll, I'll even give this to the Miami fans too. They were pretty much well-behaved. I mean besides the incident with, with, with our band, I didn't see any trouble outside the stadium before or after the game really. So I, I will give them some kudos for kind of acting like human beings and not the disgraces that they usually are. Okay, I heard I heard a couple takes from people in other areas that said 
they were rude and what have you, but you're going to hear that from it's, all fans. It's going to be isolated. That's all those, fan those bases, things. exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the takes that, that I, again, I when I listened to a national talk show host, the whole, well, Miami was able to run the ball better in Florida, DJ Dallas, blah, blah. And I said, DJ Dallas had a 50-yard run and a 24-yard run outside of that. DJ Dallas had 20 or 21 yards. I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't recall exactly what it was, but – so he had 10 carries for like 20 yards, 21 yards, and the, and the rest of it was on two carries of 50 and 24. And the 50 was like a Tommy Frazier run where five exactly. or six people missed tackles. That was absurd. So yeah. I, I wouldn't call that cons- basically they ran the ball on us. I think it was just poor execution on tackling on one play. Right. That's so. exactly what I said. And look, even with the sacks and everything, everything thrown in, they still only averaged 2.6 yards a carry. Now, Florida yeah. didn't average two. We we get that. But but the, let's not act like 2.6 is knocking that out of the park. And, and again, I just said, describe two long runs for Miami. And outside of that, you know, you're, the top back of the game would have only had 21 yards. So kind of crazy. But that was Mark, one of the I've... things that got me. And the other thing uh, was, you know, the, the, the officiating was awful. I'm sorry. Big 12 officials were horrible. Um, I, I was looking through the binoculars watching the game and there were a lot of holding calls not called. And I get, you can call holding every, every time, but then there were other calls where I would see a call and this didn't happen often, but it happened a few times where I saw a call through my binoculars and I said, well, he's going to call holding on that. And they did. But like three plays before that, there was an egregious holding call and they let that one go. So the the inconsistency of the officiating drove me nuts as I watched this game, and and I just kept shaking my head, going, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> I mean, it was just really bizarre. Yeah, I, we, we've been complaining about that now for thirty years. The college football officiating is awful, and it's just uh, to the point where you're really considering wondering are they just straight up biased for one team or the other? So. Well, these were Big Twelve guys, so yeah. So I don't, I don't think there's any real bias for it or anything. But you know, getting back to the media perspective on all this and everything, you know, if you, I I don't have it in front of me, but if you went to ESPN.com, their headline was "Inconsistent Franks Leads Gators to Survive" or something. Like the first word they used was criticizing Franks for being inconsistent. That was not the story of this game by any stretch is inconsistency. I mean, they might as well put a headline up there saying, you know, Florida loses game 20 to 24 for, for everything. The way they were like almost actively cheering against us. Uh, you would never think we actually won the game by just reading all the accounts and between Twitter and also just the, the, uh, the, the local talking heads and the national talking heads who just need something for hot takes. So very, very, very frustrating on that. Um, but let me do ask you something, Mark. With all of you know the media backlash, quote unquote, and everything, and how poorly we looked, game zero induced a lot of it, but just it was a sloppy performance. I still think that playing this game and beating Miami is a net, net, net positive over playing a scrub in the first game. How it all played out to me is still going to pay off a lot of dividends and recruiting down the line, and I think also helping the brand. 
I mean, it was the highest rated game on ESPN, regular season game, I think, in four years. So people were interested. Uh, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it was a great – the atmosphere was great. The buildup to it was great. They, and had Florida played a cleaner game, boy, you talk about a nice a nice marketing and promo, and uh, it would have just been overwhelming for Florida. You know, it, it's not so much, but at least they're talking about you. So if Florida yeah. comes out – comes out of this and let's say down the road they 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 beat tennis they beat Kentucky they beat Tennessee they beat Auburn do a nice job then people are going to keep pointing back to that Miami game and going wow this team really did improve and going to make that's going to make Dan Mullen look better perhaps it'll make Felipe Franks look better it'll make everything look better and then you know it, from a recruiting standpoint you that's going to be sold on them and go, hey, you know, so what? We had a bad game. We're, these guys, we're great. We're we're good coaches. We're going to get you guys where you want to go. And that's what's going to be the sell of it, you know? Mark, we walked out of the swamp after we lost to Kentucky thinking, how is this possible that we just lost to Kentucky? And about, you know, five, six weeks later, Kentucky is ranked pretty high up. And we're like, okay, it's not as embarrassing as the name Kentucky is. We actually lost to a pretty good team. And – Miami's schedule shakes out. You know they're in probably the worst division of any of the Power Five conferences out there. They have a very good chance to win their division. You know if their offensive line can make any sort of improvements, the defense is there. You can see, you know, the foundation of a quarterback that they're going to have for the next couple of years. Um, you know, you're right. We can look back on this and say, you know. It could be a resume builder for, you know, down the line if you, if we're fortunate enough to make like a, a case for a playoff or something. So everybody just – it's the last thing they see. It's the first thing they're going to freak out about. Nobody has any perspective. It's, people never have. They never are. It's just you have to kind of just, you know, try to talk common sense into people and calm them, get them off the ledge. I know the name like the cranky fan. I'm probably not the, the person you think would do that, but that's what I try to do because I walked out of there – some people around me were just so furious during the game, and I was never furious. I was mad after the pick that set up that final drive for Miami, but I walked out of there, A, happy we just beat Miami, B, just relieved we didn't lose, and C, thinking, okay, now we know what we need to do. We're going to have a bye week followed by a scrub. This coaching staff, which I have as much confidence in as any staff we've had since probably – you know, certainly like Urban and even before, that they will correct these mistakes. I did, again, I didn't see anything systemic that said this is a serious concern going forward. Um, but we just have to, you know, let them prepare and let it play out a bit and see what happens. Uh, special teams, we really haven't said a whole lot about a little bit here and there about Townsend. But I'll tell you, across the board, the special teams for Florida, that, that, those were your game winners right there. Those guys did a fantastic job, and and I was uh, – I know everybody out there was very uh, pleased that uh, of what they saw from the Florida special teams. And again, that I talked with Robbie Andrew today about that. And, you know, it goes back to as Robbie is a beat writer at Sarah every day. I am not, you know, I said, that go, do, do you see that effort? Do you hear about that effort on a consistent basis covering Florida? And, and that, you know, that's a, um, a, um, a throwback to urban and, and and, you know, Mullen kind of following what Urban did with it. He said, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
That's what Florida did then, and Dan has followed that same path and really put a lot of emphasis and energy in special teams. McPherson hit all the kicks he needs to hit, and Miami's kicker missed a chip shot. And missing that chip shot changed the complexion, really, of what Miami had to do in the fourth quarter. I mean, you take it for granted, you know, if you watch the NFL, somebody's going to nail a 30-yard field goal. That's, that's an automatic. In college, that's not an automatic. And Houston has made it just almost an automatic right now. So you're right. Field position, guaranteeing you're going to get the three points when you get the three or the one for the extra points. It's, it's, un, it's never looked at, but it's so important. Yeah. I agree. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Yeah, I got one quick thing I want to get off my chest, Mark, and uh, just give me a second here. Saw on the sideline that uh, Urban Meyer and Shelley were down there with Florida shirts on. And this comes a couple of days after he gave an interview and said the best atmosphere in college football is Florida. And it makes me wonder that this is all part of a plan of his to get back into the good graces of Florida. I mean, now he's no longer the coach at Ohio State. He may or may not coach ever again. He's searching for a legacy. You know, I think it's been stained at Ohio State with the whole thing with the assistant coach and all that. And I don't know how genuine this all is. You know, we were talking about it over the weekend. What would it take to have us kind of say we'd accept him ever being in the ring of honor? And my answer was if he ever gave a thoughtful interview and was very honest about why he left the program after 2009, not to spend time with his family, but be honest with us that the Ohio State job was in the wings waiting for him. So this is all nice and wearing shirts and saying how great the swamp is. But then we saw in the New York Post yesterday, there was an interview where he said they at the question was asked. Do you have any regrets for anything that's happened in your coaching career? And he brought up, you know, defending the whatever his name is, the guy from Ohio State. He said, other than that, I have no regrets. And as soon as I saw that, that pretty much closed the door for me on Urban Meyer ever being back in part of the Florida family. I mean, he could say all he wants, you know, try to make up for, you know, he knows that the Florida fan base is kind of not happy with him right now. But for him to have no regrets on how that all went down, I'm sorry. He will never be a Gator in my book, and I will adamantly oppose him ever being in the ring of honor because to me, it's not the ring of accomplishment. It's the ring of honor, and I just don't think Urban Meyer has any honor, and I'll get off my soapbox now, Mark, but uh, I had to say it. Well, I think a big part of that was – remember, he's not coaching this year, Mm -hmm. and this was week zero, so he doesn't have anything to do with Fox, so he's able to go over there. I I don't. No, I know he and Shelly were there. I had, um, I was down the hallway in the press box, and somebody, one of the guys sitting next to me, walked walked up and said, "Hey," he goes, "I, I just came from down the hallway here, and Urban and Shelly were walking up," and I thought, "Oh man, I would have loved to have been there just to see if he'd if he'd say hello." <laughs> <laughs> Shelly would, but if he yeah, I'm sure she would, but, but you know, <laughs> but, yeah. it's just to me, it's just like. It's too much of a coincidence he shows up after giving, you know, you know, the comments about how the Swamp's the best atmosphere in college football. It just seems like an orchestrated effort to get back in the good graces of Florida. And I don't know. I just – I don't trust the guy. I just don't think he's ever sincere. 
And, you know, listen, I'd, lo- I'd love for him to have a mea culpa and say what went on. I'd be, I'd be, I'm a forgiving guy, Mark. I'd bring him back into the fold, but I just, I just can't do it at this point. And, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I just still have a major problem with how it went down. And it's a shame because he always, you know, this second best coach we ever had had more accomplishments, but he's just, he's just not one of us. Well, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, that's going to do it for me. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, you know, I don't, I don't really have a take on him. I really don't anymore. I've kind of, and this may sound bad, but I'm kind of over it. You know, I'm like, well, you know, whatever. If he wants to come around, he's more than welcome to. He's a friend of Dan Mullins. I think everybody has to accept that. He was part of the program here and built, did some great things at the University of Florida. Obviously, there were some, some pain, too. There were some prices to pay for it, and too. There I mean, were. There were. The program got uh, off the field stuff was, was not good. But anyway, I don't know. I'm kind of over it. Um, next up for Florida, bye week. And Florida's going to win that one and then win it comfortably. Um, there will, there'll be no issues. I, I hope, hopefully they're, they, you know, when every, all the kids, uh, get to get a couple days off and get away from the program and then check back in on Monday or excuse me, Sunday afternoon, uh, to begin preparation for oh, Tennessee Martin. Oh, is it Tennessee? Okay. Good grief. We're going to have uh, three wins against the state of Tennessee this year. And I'm trying to decide ranking them in one to three, which is the, the three best teams. So. Yeah, I can't even keep straight which of the the underlings it is this week. So. Is it the one in Knoxville or the? <laughs> yeah, is it Towson or is it UT? All right, all right, we got it. Um, all right, well that's going to do it for me. But hey, thanks to everybody for listening to this show. If you will listen to my show during the week, weekdays at four o'clock, you can find it online at nine six five sports dot com. I would love, love for you guys to call in. And talk about the Gators, talk about the SEC, talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, would love to uh, take your calls and do that. So that's all that I have, uh, Mike. I will let you s- uh, send it out of here. But also follow me on Twitter at McLeod Live, M-C-L-E-O-D Live. I may have to call in once or twice and give some opinions because I have, I have yeah, a couple of takes on every- guess. Yes, yeah, talk about the race you can vent and all that. Ugh. You have to. I was in a relatively good mood, Mark. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, well, you can go to bed now. Uh, thank you, <laughs> uh, everybody. You can catch me on Twitter as always at the Cranky Fan. Uh, we're in full Gator mode right now. I'm going to try to talk people off the ledge. I'm going to try to troll some Miami fans who still think that they are should be national champions because they just lost to us. So um, you can keep your 305s, guys. Um, Besides this show, you can catch me on my companion podcast, the Just Giants podcast, where me and the football grump are talking all things New York Giants. So um, check that out as well. If you're a giant and a gator, we'd love for you to listen to both. Um, again, that's the Just Giants podcast. And again, I'm on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. So I'd love to hear from you. So hope to hear from you soon. So for Mark McLeod, this is the Cranky Fan saying, "Go Gators." <laughs>